0: Good afternoon, church. Uh, We are excited about today because we finally come to our third week of walking through this rain shower of blessing that Paul is talking about in this passage. If you've been with us, uh, we've been journeying through the book of Ephesians, which is written by a Christian missionary named Paul to a church that he planted. And this week we're sort of uh, coming to a completion of this long run-on theological sentence about all of the blessings that a Christian or a person who has a relationship with God has in Christ. And so uh, I know we don't have all of the things on the screen, so I'll kind of give you a heads up, but uh, what we're doing is we're going verse by verse through this to really see what God would want us to know about who he is and what that means for our life Today And so if you're taking notes, uh, this message is called Blessed Beyond Belief. Blessed Beyond Belief. Um, If you guys have noticed, there's been so many stories written and movies made about this uh, theme or idea of inheritance, right? Uh, Where a rich relative passes away and then they leave their riches to that unsuspecting uh, lowly family member. And it's all over movies. For example, uh, have you guys seen that 1992 movie comedy, King Ralph? If you guys know what I'm talking about, in it, we learn that every member, uh, some of you guys are laughing because you know it's a silly movie. Uh, every, move, every member of the uh, British royal family dies in this freak photography accident. But there's this one distant American relative, and he's found to give this inheritance to. And it's this Las Vegas lounge singer named Ralph, and it's played by John Goodman. He is crazy, he is crass, and he is crude, which is everything that the British family is not. But over the course of the movie, you see how this new identity of royalty and this new royal inheritance changes everything about his life. Or maybe you didn't see this one, but did you see the 2002 movie, Mr. Deeds, where Adam Sandler plays the same character he always plays. But this time he inherits $40 billion from this distant great uncle that he really didn't even know. And again, Over the course of the movie, you see how this new inheritance gives him a new identity. It changes old habits and radically affects his life as a struggling pizza restaurant employee. Guys, this theme of inheritance makes for such a great story, doesn't it? And it comes up over and over again in our cultural storytelling. And the question is, why does it? It's as if this theme of belonging to a family and inheriting multiple blessings of being part of this family is woven deep into the human heart. And that's because it is. In today's passage, we'll see that this narrative of inheritance is actually our story. If you call yourself a Christian, this is the truth that we're learning, that we've been adopted into God's family through our faith in Jesus. And therefore, you have obtained something called an inheritance. And listen, that inheritance changes everything for you. It changes things about the past, things about the present, and things about The future. So with that in mind, today we're unpacking what is the blessing of inheritance. So let's jump right in by looking at verse 11. Let me read this to you again. Paul says, which is the author of this, directed by the Holy Spirit, he's giving us this word and he says this, "...in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will." so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." These last three verses make up the third section of blessings. These last four verses make up this third section of this blessings that we've been looking at through our study of Ephesians. For the past few weeks, we've been going through verses three through 14, where the Holy Spirit through Paul is detailing multiple blessings that we receive by being in a relationship with God and what that means for your and my everyday life. So far, we've seen how in the original Greek language, this uh, massive run-on sentence, uh, verses three through 14, is one really long theological rich sentence where the author Paul is presenting one cascading description of God's blessing in Christ after another, after another, after another. And with every description, Paul is exploding, guys, with joy and with worship as he details to us the wonders of what God has done to bless us through a relationship with him. In just the first 10 verses of this, we've seen 10 huge blessings with massive implications for our life. Paul starts this book by saying this. He says, blessed be, this is verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, And then he's been following up by listing 10 huge blessings. He says, because of our faith in Jesus' death for our sins, we have number one, grace and peace from God. In him, we have number two, heavenly father that loves us and comforts us with his grace and truth. In him, we have a benevolent Lord who directs and guides us to the the path of flourishing in his glory. We've seen over the past weeks that in him, we've been predestined or chosen by God to be a part of his family. We've also seen that in him, we've become holy or blameless because he's forgiven our record of sin before him. And then we've seen how we've been adopted to his family. We've been redeemed from all the past and the present and future sins. We see that in him, we have wisdom and insight, making known to us his word. And we've seen how God has reunited us to himself. And that one day, my friends, God will restore all of the goodness of God and the goodness of heaven in our life, in the new heaven and the new earth, where everything broken in us and on earth will be restored to perfection in heaven. That's what we've been through. That's a ton of blessing that we've learned. And today is the third section through verses 11 through 14, where we're gonna see three massive blessings to conclude this introduction to the letter. And today, here are the points I'm gonna give you that we're gonna unpack. We see three things. In him, number one, we have an inheritance. Number two, in him, we have a gospel that saves and transforms. And then number three, we have a Holy Spirit who seals and guarantees us. So again, if you're taking notes, today's message is uh, part three of three entitled, Blessed Beyond Belief. Uh, So guys, verse 11, um, we see the first of these three blessings, that word inheritance, right? It reads again, let me show it to you. It says, in him we have, and then here we go, here's the first blessing, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works at all things to the counsel of his will. Guys, this verse starts with a very familiar phrase we've seen, right? We've seen, in him, And this is again, detailing yet another divine blessing for those who are in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And then it says this powerful phrase, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, just like in the two movies we mentioned earlier, both characters, Mr. Deeds and Ralph were awestruck when they learned that they were the recipients of their family's inheritance And so all throughout the movie, they sought deeply to understand what was this inheritance and how would it impact their lives? And friends, we would be wise to do the same thing today. So here's the question. What is this inheritance that we've obtained through our relationship with Jesus? What have we received that's an inheritance that we received from our relationship with God? Well, it doesn't say directly in this passage, does it? You see some things before it, but in this passage, is there anything? Well, guys, what we believe in our church is that we want to look to the whole of scripture to see where else in the Bible is maybe Paul or another apostle writing about inheritance. And we see something really powerful about it in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 gives us a brief, but beautiful description of our heavenly inheritance because of the relationship we have with God. It says this, God will wipe, this is what we get in the future. Picture this for a moment. Think about all the pain or suffering or struggling that you've been through. And then think about this, this is your inheritance. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. God and those who have trusted in a relationship with him, they'll dwell actually together together face to face and joy and harmony for all of eternity. Everything old will be made new. Every injustice made right. And everything broken in us and around us will be restored because of him. And then we see this, that a beautiful new Jerusalem will be restored city. And it will be our city of residence. We'll live there where again, there's gonna be no corrupt power or politics in place. This place, this inheritance that we're gonna live, there will be people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue will be gathered in unity and equality without prejudice or racism. In that place, there's this symbolism of this tree of life or the river of life that issues from the heavenly throne of God. And it symbolizes to us this tree of life and river of life, God's real gifts of eternal joy, and fulfillment, and love, and peace, security, and comfort, all of which are the things our lives long for the most. And this passage is telling us that for those who have a relationship with Christ, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, those who have trusted in him, this is their inheritance. They'll find the most fulfillment in their relationship with God because he is their inheritance, amen? And 1 Peter chapter one, verse four, picks up also on this theme of inheritance and tells us that like, unlike any possession or inheritance we could receive on earth, it tells us this, we have a heavenly inheritance that is, and then he defines three things. That inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled and it's unfading and it's kept or guarded or protected in heaven for each of you in Christ, who by God's power is guarding it through faith for salvation ready to be revealed to you in the last time. Meaning friends, that this future inheritance that you and I get will never fade, it will never fall and it will never fail. It's protected and guaranteed for each of us who have a relationship with God. So to summarize, make sure we back up and take the high thoughts down to our hearts. What is this inheritance that we've obtained? What is this gift God's given to us? Adam Sandler, did you know what those gifts were in that movie, right? This is what it is. Listen, our inheritance is this. It's getting God and his goodness forever. His restoring power his healing presence and his redeeming love for all of time. To say it most clearly, my friends, God himself is your inheritance. God is the point of the gospel. God is the point of heaven. God is the point of your inheritance. The riches of what you need most in this earth is the riches of who God is in heaven. And Christian, he's telling you today that through this text, he is yours forever to heal every wound, to fix every problem and to be the fulfillment of every longing you have in your life. And this is yours forever in him. And friend, there is no need to look any further to anyone or to anything. As King David wrote in Psalms, he says this with this idea of this inheritance, it's it's God. He says, Lord, you are, alone are my portion and my cup. Meaning you're the thing that fulfills me. It's not just food or my job or my marriage or my singleness or my dating or sex or over drinking after a hard day of work. It's not that that's his portion. He's saying, God, you are what fulfill me. You are what satisfy me. He says, he continues in this Psalm, in Psalm 16, you make my lot secure. Not how much money I get, not making sure that I have a spouse so that I'm cared for, not making sure all my medical coverage is in place, that I don't get a PhD so that I can secure a great job and take care of my debt. Those things are good and fine, but David's saying, you are my security because you don't shake, you don't fall, you don't fade. You alone are my portion. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines of my life have fallen in pleasant places. Even when it's challenging, you make it good. And he says, surely I have a delightful inheritance. Guys, listen, when we really get this, when we deeply understand and value the glorious inheritance that awaits us, we are better able to endure whatever comes our way in life. We can give God praise even during trials and challenges. Why? How? Because we have this guarantee that we will receive all that he's promised, including a heavenly future without tears and without trials. And that's why Paul picks up in another book in 2 Corinthians 4 and says this, for our light and momentary troubles on earth are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Meaning when you and I go through hard things, I don't wanna diminish those. The depression, the anxiety, the relational problems, the divorce in the family, Whatever your weight is, the weight of God's inheritance and glory overshadows this one day. Every wound healed, every problem fixed, everything undone, completed. And the weight of that overshadows the pain of what's today. That's not to minimize what we're going through, but that's to maximize what God will fix what we're going through, amen? So guys, let me illustrate this just to make sure that it's clear for all of us. And maybe we've got some little kiddos in the room want to make sure this is sort of clear. Um, Let's say that you and I join an experiment tomorrow. We go on to maybe Craigslist and we're like, oh, I need some more money. How do I do this? And we find this experiment that we all enter into, right? And we're asked in this room, we're all asked to sit in a windowless room and do a menial task for three months, 12 hours a day. Pause right there. Some of you are like, bro, that's my job every day. It's my job every day. Well, then this illustration's for you. (laughs) So let's say that we're stuffing envelopes and we're licking them three months, 12 hours a day. But let's just say that Rachel is the one person that has a little bit more information than all of us. We're all forced to do the same thing, except Rachel, our one good friend, at the very end, she was told that she'll inherit $3 billion. None of us else know that. So we're all in this room and we're working and we go through this day after day, after day, after day. What do you think the perspective difference would be? If you're like me and I'm sitting in there, I would sit there miserable, I'm grinding my teeth. I'm regretting every minute of this decision and I'll probably bail within the first month. But Rachel will most likely stick it out for three months, happily whistling along and singing the songs about Promise Keeper that she did today because she knows that there's something awaiting for her past the trial. Do you see the difference in the experiment? Both circumstances the same, right? Three months, 12 hours a day, menial job. The difference is the promised future changed the perception, the attitude, and the actions of the one who kept the future In mind, And that's the point, the application point that Paul is making in verse 11. Many of us live as though we have no inheritance, that there is no greater future or hope, that there is nothing that will help us out of or in the circumstances that we are in, whether it's hardship in our marriage, with our parenting, in our job, our desires for the future, that there's nothing that's going to change this. So we hang our head, we look down our circumstances and we don't look our way out stuck in the menial, forgetting the eternal. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, friends, fix your eyes, not what's on scene, but fix them on what's the unseen. Because what's seen is temporary, but the unseen is eternal, is what he says. My friends, if this can grip your heart, the inheritance we have in Christ changes the way that we think about our present struggles and gives us the hope and help we need to endure life's challenges. And then we ask Rachel for some of those dollars in all of our personal life. I'm just kidding. But do you see what I'm saying with this illustration? That God has given us something that we've received a portion of it, which we'll learn in a moment, but we've not received all of it, but you live different when you know that you will. You're not caught and stuck where you are anymore. That there is someone sees, loves, and is working out something for your good. This is a great blessing. We have an inheritance. Someone is going to richly bless us. It's God himself. And then every trial, every pain, every wound, every injustice that you, family and friends in this world has faced. And God is telling us that that is our gift in him. Now we'll come back to finish verse 12 in a moment, but let me show you the second blessing that's in this passage. And it's found in verse 13 and 14 and says this, verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. First blessing, my friends, is the inheritance. You get God and his goodness forever. The second blessing is the Holy Spirit. In these verses, we see the Holy Spirit given three designations. And I tried to emphasize those. Did you see those? Let me share that with you. The three designations is the Holy Spirit, a promise, a seal, and a guarantee. First, the Holy Spirit is rightly titled here, the promised Holy Spirit, but why is He called the promised Holy Spirit? Well, God promised through the Old Testament prophecies and through Jesus Himself that one day God would send the very Spirit and very presence of God Himself to dwell with each person who trusts in the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Whom God did provide this for the people on the day of Pentecost, and He provides that for everyone who trusts and turns to Jesus by faith. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is proof of God's promise to us that our inheritance is here now and the fullness of it is coming soon. So if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, this is proof of the promise. You have part of the goodness, but it's gonna get even better later. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not only called God's promise, but he's called God's seal. Well, why is he called God's seal? Well, in the ancient world, seals were used in a similar way today. Not like, like ocean seals, right? But like this seal, just to make sure that's all clear in here. I think I saw my, my daughter like kind of peek up with seals and like different kind of seals. Uh, in the ancient world, seals were used in a similar way. Think about cargo. Uh, think about envelopes. They were sealed before they were shipped to guarantee the validity of the context A seal also therefore conveyed the authenticity of the ownership. Often person would put their initial or they would have a ring and it would have their special initial kind of engraved. They would take some wax and they would put their ring seal on it to show that it is indeed theirs. And whatever's inside of it is their authority. And what we're seeing in this passage is the Spirit is the seal that's given to believers to verify they belong to God's family. The coming of the Spirit, along with Jesus' resurrection, convinced the people in the early church that the end times had begun, God sees them and the fullness of inheritance is on the way for them. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. It's his pledge by which he undertakes to bring his people safely to their final inheritance. That word guarantee here is originally a Hebrew word, which seems to come in some Greek usage through the trading system. In ancient commercial transactions, this guarantee that was talked about signified a first installment or a down payment that pays for part of the purchase in advance so that it secures its legal claim on it. In this case, the guarantee is not something separate from what it guarantees, but actually the first portion of it. Let me make sure I make that sense to you. For example, a down payment on a house. You don't have to pay for the entire house in full in order to get the house at first, right? You put a down, a down payment and that portion still allows you to instantly get the blessings of the home, Right? This is what we're learning about the Holy Spirit, that God is saying, let me give you the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And he is wonderful and mighty and powerful and active and comforting in your life, but it gets better is what we see here. He's the guarantee. It's like if I were to say, hey, uh, you get this $3 billion, but it's way better. This is just a down payment. And you're thinking there's more, there's more than the Holy Spirit, God's work and comfort and direction in my life. Yes, it gets better. And that's what your inheritance is for all of time. Every tear, every wound, every struggle healed. Every moment you're like, what do I do next? I have no direction. I'm not sure how to make my thoughts. I like, I need some help. Like what am I supposed to do with my life? What's God's will? Like that will never happen to you again. Any abuse, neglect, harm you've been through, mistreatment at work with a guardian, with a child, it's all done. He heals it. He repairs everything broken in us. And the Holy Spirit is God himself. And he's saying, he's just 20%. Wait until the end. Guys, this was mind blowing for me when I was studying this past week to call the Holy Spirit just sort of a guarantee of something greater to come. is mind blowing. If you're a Christian, you know that you've received God's presence his care, he's reminding you of his love. He's leading you in the path of his will. And sometimes we listen, sometimes we don't listen, but God has given us his presence and God said, mm, it gets better, it gets better. And giving him to us, God is not just promising our final inheritance one day in the future, he's actually giving us a foretaste of it now through the Holy Spirit's present and activity in our lives. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God's very presence and gift to the Christian, showing that we are indeed his. And he bestows to us a sense of God's presence and involvement in our lives. The obvious benefit of having the spirit is a sense of peace and security that comes with belonging to God. And how do we know if a person, if, if he or she has the spirit? The Bible tells us in the book of 1 John that there's something that a change happens to them and mainly a change called love, changes both the work of the spirit and the evidence of the spirit in the Christian's life. The reality of belonging to God is the reality in which we must live. God is at work in doing this, planning, blessing, valuing, and loving people. If the same work that he's doing in himself is the same work he does in a Christian, then you'll see this. You'll see a Christian love, value, plan, and bless others. The proof that you have the Holy Spirit in your life Do you love God more? Do you love others more than yourself? Are you learning to love God more and hate sin more? What does it look like? These are the marks of someone that the Holy Spirit has in their life. Even more than that, the Bible is filled with detailing the blessings that come with a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. For example, this is some scriptures. Through him, we receive wisdom and illumination to perceive the meaning of the Bible and the implications of the gospel. We just learned that last week. Through God's blessing, we can learn and understand the meanings of the Bible. He gives us wisdom and insight. What's mystery is now clarity because he revealed it in his word. We also receive an inner strengthening by God. We receive access to the indwelling presence of the God who, who guards and guides us. We receive the blessings of God restoring all things. We receive the desire to live godly lives, turn from sin, partake in thankful worship, and also receive his comfort, guidance, care, and help in prayer. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. And this is only a down payment. It's pretty powerful to think there is someone who does actively pray for you. and It's God himself. That there's someone who is seeking to give you guidance to comfort you, to give you clarity. There is someone who does this and he is eager and desirous to do this. So guys, you're not alone. Whatever huge decision or struggle you're in right now, there's one that's been assigned to you to help you, to lead you in that same place. Guys, this is, this is only a down payment and it keeps getting better. So guys, I don't want you to miss this. There's something major in this passage that we haven't talked about in the past few weeks because it's crescendoing here to the end. All of these blessings given to us in Christ have been given for a specific purpose. Have you noticed it? Did you notice it the past three weeks that the blessings are given, quote, to the praise of God's glory? Three times now, we've seen Paul tell us that all of these blessings, these cascading one after another, after another, after another, are all to result in us glorifying God with our hearts and with our lives. Did you see that before? Look in your Bible again. It's there. Look at it. Verse five and six, he writes that God chose and predestined us to be his children. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. And then God gave us an inheritance and appointed us to live for the praise of his glory, verse 12. And that one day we will finally be redeemed and restored as his people in heaven who are his possession. Why? Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Three times this phrase is used and it deserves our time to unpack it. I see the glory of God is the revelation of God. It's him coming out behind the curtain and saying, look at who I am. The revelation of God is the glory of God's grace. It's his self-disclosure to the world. To live to the praise of his glory means for us to worship him in our words and our deeds or to reveal something about him To others, to give God glory is to put God's attributes or character on display. So let me give you an example. Do we speak the truth at our work? Do we speak words of comfort and hope and truth? Because God are those things. And so to glorify him, we must display his character in the way that he is. So we tell the truth because God is a truth-keeping God. We love others because God is a God of love. So to glorify him is to display what is him through our lives. And the benefit of that is to honor him, that many, many more would know this inheritance. The more we display his glory and honor his glory, the better life even is for us because God talked a principle in the concept of giving him glory. When we glorify him most, we are most satisfied. Do you guys see what I'm saying here? When we are striving to live out his principles and live out his character, there's something that happens for the human. What happens for us is that we live according to his cosmic design for human flourishing. So he sets a path. He sets these rules in motion. And when we follow this path, there's something that we begin to enjoy. We see how God designed humanity to live for a purpose and a reason. And when we live that way, we honor God, but we also benefit. Do you see what Paul's trying to say? Everything is for God's glory. God is trying to get his character on display to the world so that many more could have his inheritance. Many more could have these blessings. And when we live this way, what happens? You and I deeply understand and receive these blessings. Because it seems that Paul is screaming to us something about God in this passage. Did you notice how the Trinity... Three persons, but one God is brought up in this passage. And notice how Paul connected God's glory to each of the persons of the Trinity. Let me show you this. Paul used this Trinitarian formula to show you that all of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is working together to bless you for his praise so that his name could go out to the world and so that we could be blessed in him. Do you see this formula? Our first week, verses three through six, talked about God the Father. He adopts, He chooses, He makes a plan. Why? To the praise of His glory. The Father, God the Father. Last week, verses seven through 10, it's all about God the Son. God the Son redeems. He restores. Why? To the praise of the Son's glory. And what do you see this week? It's all about the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. He seals us, He assures us. Why? To the praise of His glory. Do you realize that the narrative of your life is to be about God's glory? Glory, his character on display so that many could understand the blessings. Guys, Paul is just going on a rant right now. And he wants everyone to know to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. We got to tell everybody. My friends, who are you telling about Jesus? Are you like Paul, exploding with knowing that God has done all of these things for us? And yes, we are to believe it. And how can people believe it if we don't share it, though? How could that happen? If we believe that God loves and he redeems, but people must choose and believe and turn from sin and we don't tell them, my friends, we must do so. We must live to the praise or the declaration of his character and his actions. And when we do that, there's a great benefit for us. We're seeing that God has a design for human flourishing and we walk closely with this God. And we begin like Paul to explode with praise, even when you can be in jail like Paul. So what's the how and why of God's people? What's the how and why of this passage? How did we become God's people? It's according to God's good pleasure. God chose, we believed. How did God make us his people? He redeemed us. He died for us. Why did he do this? All for the praise of his glory, all for the telling of his character to the world. Guys, everything we are, everything we do must be about God's glory. Now, tucked in between these two blessings so far, inheritance and the Holy Spirit, we see this third blessing. And this is really crucial for us because this is how we understand how we get these blessings. This shows us how we get it. So it's crucial for us to understand verse 13. And it's the third blessing called the gift of the gospel. The gospel means good news. Verse 13, let me read to you. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Heard, believed, heard, believed, heard, believed. The whole long passage from verses 3 through 14, guys, is full of references, isn't it? About God's will, his good pleasure, and his purposes, and to the plan and praise of his glory, isn't it? But this text, listen to me, this text clearly emphasizes that salvation is attributed to the will and purposes and counsel of God. But please notice, verse 13 indicates our own responsibility in this as well to believe. Christian, you have a responsibility to hear God's word, to hear the gospel, to share the gospel so that others can hear. But these blessings are not ours unless we first trusted in Jesus. Let me read this to you again. Verse 13 says this, first we heard the word of truth because someone was obedient to share it, which is also called the gospel of our salvation. And then we believed in him. So what's the gospel? What's this message that gains us access to these blessings? The gospel is simply this, that God is a good, loving, benevolent God that created a good, loving, benevolent world. Humans entered into this world, part of God's design, and they were in flourishing and love and unity together. Mankind chose to rebel against God and wandered away. And then generations after generations after generations of human mankind, we rebelled and didn't want God's way for human flourishing. God in his love didn't leave humanity there. In fact, he didn't just send a representative, he sent himself. He sent God the son to go and rescue these people. They didn't wanna be rescued and they ended up killing this Messiah. But this Messiah, that was part of his plan because he knew that he had to die for the sins of me and of you. This Jesus died on the cross to free them from the sin. And then he rose again, truly historically, literally physically from the dead three days later. And anyone who trusts or believes in this message gain access into God's family. Guys, we are responsible to share this and to believe it. If we do not believe in God, if we don't choose faith in God, then none of these are ours. So yes, I understand friends, there is to God's will, there's predestination, there's election, there's his good pleasures and purpose, guys, but let no one say that the doctrine of election and predestination that we've seen in verses three through 14 make either placing our faith in Christ or sharing our faith of Christ with others unnecessary. It's not unnecessary. Verse 13 and 14 tell us we must share it for it to be heard and we must believe it to be a part of this family. Our responsibility to believe the gospel is the very means that God has appointed by which he delivers us from the bondage of sin's penalty. We must believe. And sharing our faith with others is the very means that God has appointed for which he seeks to rescue others from the blindness that sin causes and to bring us into the saving message of Jesus. This text tells us that both sharing the gospel and believing the gospel are necessary. Only hearing Salvation is insufficient. People are responsible for believing the good news of what God has done to forgive our sins on the cross. Our confession of and our belief in Christ are the basis of this salvation. For Paul, belief was no mere assent to this kind of rules or or orders of things or just this acknowledgement of the Messiah. No belief entailed accepting not only that the gospel of Christ is true, but the gospel of Christ must be for me, I need a Savior. So, here in this passage, what do we see? Verses 3 through 14, we see twin truths exist in harmony God's sovereignty and humanity's responsibility to trusting in Jesus with salvation. There's a great uh, preacher that I often um, cite and he was a preacher that was in uh, Britain long ago. Um, Pastor Charles Spurgeon was asked the following question by one of his members about this very passage. They said, Pastor, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty is choosing of people and our responsibility to believe? Aren't, Aren't they at odds? Well, then, Pastor Spurgeon, he looked lovingly at this member and he shared this response. Dear friend, don't you know about these two? There is no need to reconcile them for they are friends and they are not at odds with one another. In a way that we see these two friends working together for salvation, according to this passage, it's a mystery to us, but it works perfectly in the mind and heart of God. God chooses the people that he wants to bring in his family, but mankind is responsible for placing their faith in Christ. So my friend, if you're in this room and you're still exploring the claims of Christianity, today, I wanna urge you, would you believe in Jesus? Would you turn from your sins, see them on the cross, say, Jesus, I need you to die in my place so I can have a place with you in heaven. You must believe. The word must be taught. You must hear it. And you must believe it. And you gain access to this waterfall, cascading blessing after blessing after blessing. Let me end with this story. There's another great pastor uh, that I admire. His name is Tony Evans. And he tells this beautiful story. And let me share this with you as we close. Uh, there's this story of a rich man who lost his son really early in life. And he didn't have any other kids. He had no heir. And all the items went to an auction. And at the auction, there was this very first item of a painting of his son and no one bids on it. And there's, there's multiple rounds. Then finally, just then from the back of the room, an elderly man stepped forward and said, sir, I, I was the servant of this man who died. And if nobody will take this picture of the son, I, I wanna know if I can, if I can have it. So the auctioneer said, hold on a second, one more time. Is there anybody else in this room that wants to bid on this picture of this son? Yet nobody did. So the auctioneer looked to the servant and said, yes, this picture is yours. The elderly servant worked his way to standing up and slowly walked forward to take hold of this portrait. He looked at it lovingly, reminding himself of the boy's image and the fellowship he had with him. And then he tucked it underneath his arm and headed to the back of the room. To everyone's shock, the auctioneer then picked up his gavel, banged it down and said, the auction is now over. Everyone looked around and was like, what? What what is, what is going on? You haven't brought out any of the expensive pieces that were supposed to be sold. How can the auction be over? And the auctioneer replied, the father's will says that the auction was to begin with the picture of the son. And he valued the son so highly that he stipulated that whoever took the picture of the son would inherit everything. What's behind this story is this. Essentially, he who has the son has everything. He who does not have the son has nothing. My friends, if you haven't, would you receive Jesus, the son of, of God, fully God, fully man. Would you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins by turning from your sin, turning to the cross, and seeing that your sins are paid for and believing that he did this in love? Trust that that was sufficient for you, and you are now a part of God's family. Church, you are blessed beyond belief. 13 blessings we've unpacked, and we're only in the introduction of this book. I can't wait to keep going through this and through this to see all the blessings and love that God has for you. Let's pray together.